Hi guys, welcome to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. I am Steve Hall, your host of ReviveStronger.com and today I am incredibly happy to announce we have a, a fantastic guest on the show. We have Jeff Alberts from 3D Muscle Journey and no doubt if you know me, you have already heard of Jeff, you already know 3DMJ, you saw Andrea was on the podcast the other week. So just to briefly outline how great it is to have Jeff on the show, He's been competing since 1993. So I was three years old at that stage. So that just kind of goes to show how much experience and wealth of knowledge Jeff will have and have be able to give to us during this show. He's got two pro cards, 16 class titles, 26 top three finishes, and won the 2014 IFPA Pro International in, two, yeah, in 2014, so two years ago. And Jeff has experienced firsthand just about everything that you could do and shouldn't do in the sport. And I took that directly from the 3DMJ website because I thought it was a great quote just to think you have been through almost it all and you've seen it evolve, you've seen the industry evolve and no doubt you've seen natural bodybuilding being tiny to now actually becoming something that is something recognisable, which must be quite cool to have been in. And I think it's important also to tell you guys that Jeff is a devoted husband and has two children and he lives a life. It's not like natural bodybuilding is his life. So Jeff has a lot of other things going on and recently strained your back, but kind of getting over it and you had a bit of a family trauma. So like these things happen and you're still plowing on still when you're in contest prep and you're managing stress as well as possible. And that's something we're definitely going to touch on. Uh, Anything else you want to add to that, Jeff? Man, that's a, pretty awesome list when you when i sit there just (laughs) sit there and take it in and hear it like wow that's really really good really cool and i really do appreciate that introduction no i mean it is it's fantastic to have someone who has been through all of that who shares so much of it i mean you've been on youtube for years now there's so many videos out there for people to watch and i know when i first got into actual bodybuilding it was 3dmj who i was watching and they were you guys were the ones who were inspiring me and those videos, even the old ones where the quality wasn't necessarily that good, they were still immense and so inspiring. And I think a lot of guys around my sort of age, a bit less experienced within the industry, look up to you guys as kind of people they want to be. And that's because you represent a good balance because I definitely couldn't do it if I couldn't live a life at the same time because it would be too much. Yeah, I think... Uh... I can think I can speak for our whole team that when it boils down to it's just we're we're just like everybody else. We're we lift weights and we try to, to get better and we're just guys, normal guys who are trying to improve ourselves in the sport. So and I think it was just, you know, for me personally it was like hard for me to put myself out there in the very beginning. But I realized like, okay, if I share my experiences, that's how people can learn. So if it's maybe just one small thing that someone can pick up on that helps them, then it's definitely worth doing it. So I've personally, I've enjoyed sharing that experience because for years I was closed in and didn't really put myself out there. Obviously, I started way back before the internet was around, but but so yeah, that's just kind of like for me. I just uh, it's kind of um, gratifying now to kind of you know if you could just help one person out, it's cool. Yeah, I think every. That's what I try and do with my posts. I'm not always, and I actually got it from you when I heard a long time ago, or you might, you may even well repeat it on your YouTube videos in that you just hope that 
there'd be one person out there that might take one little bit of information that will help. And if you've done that, you've done your job, which I think is a fantastic thing to have because you could easily, yeah, be kind of intrusive and not share your things. And natural bodybuilding is by itself quite a selfish and in, kind of introvert type of sport, which I think is why it yeah. attracts some people. But I always get more from the sport when I share it, when I share what my physique's looking like, when I share my struggles, when I share how things are going. Yeah. No, dude, your posts are awesome. Oh, like, I'm you. like, man, how, how does he think of this? Though? I was like, that must have took some time to write that. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think they're, they're really good, for sure. Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, actually, if we start off with just talking about how you feel your approach to maybe your training or nutrition has changed over time as you become now advanced obviously you're kind of getting to near where you might view as at your genetic limit almost um whereas before when you first started out obviously you maybe weren't doing things as well as you hoped how have kind of you used the science and what's come out to progress how you've trained or have you not really changed that much oh man i could probably talk the whole podcast would be on that question but <laughs> i think I think the biggest thing that I did that was probably the, the best thing I did was open up my mind. I was probably like seven, eight years ago now where I was pretty close-minded with the approach just because, you know, I was uh, self-taught for many years and I got married to one particular training style, which was, um, you know, Mike Mincer, Dorian Yates' hit. So like high intensity, low volume, just balls to the wall, grind it out. And I did. I made good progress with it. So, you know, when you make initially some real strong grains with a with an approach, you're like, okay, that's the holy grail. You know, I found I found the approach that works the best for me. And and everything else was just like, you know, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. So anybody who would throw their ideas at me, I would just basically deflect it or either I would defend the way I was doing things. So in a, in a sense, I kind of identified myself as that hardcore type, Dorian Yates type, mm -hmm. mincer guy. So it was like, it was a black and white thing. It was like, okay, I'm just going to defend my beliefs instead of like opening my mind up to other ideas and trying things. So, I mean, you could take that that thought process into the real world too. I mean, because you're seeing that all over the world and in, in the political realm and everything. Oh, yeah. So just, I mean... Just when I look back on that, I'm like, man, I could have like gotten really good early on if I would have just had that open mind, uh, you know, just having that open mind and being a little bit more humble. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what the guys kind of introduced to me when I met the other guys at 3D Muscle Journey. It's like, hey, Jeff, why don't you try this? You know, why don't you try this? This is what the science says. And I'm like, mm -hmm. finally, you know, listening to them, you know, interacting with them, getting to know them more on a personal level, you know, it's like, Okay, you know, I started changing the way I thought and started implementing, some, you know, a little bit more volume into my training, backing down the intensity, changing up some of the nutrition and stuff like that, that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm actually seeing some improvements here. So it was just like not like not knowing there was a fear of, okay, if I change these things, what's going to happen? You know, am I going to regret? Am I, am I going to make progress or am I going to go backwards? So there was that fear and insecurity. But once you start getting the results, that starts to go away. You're getting that affirmation of like, okay, this mm -hmm. is actually working. And that uh, not only did they help me with like improving physically, but 
just mentally and emotionally as a person, I started to grow more because I'm, you know, getting outside of my comfort zone and getting outside of my, my, you know, that little box that I was in. So that was, that's probably the biggest thing was just always having an open, you know, always having an open mind now that, uh, you know, there's probably methods that are still out there now that I haven't tried, Mm -hmm. um, science-based or not science-based that may, may work for me. So I just, I continue just to have that open mind and try to dabble with things here and there to see if I could improve. And even if, let's say, you try something and it doesn't work, because that's happened to me a lot, then you know, okay, that didn't work. Now I, I can move on and find something that, that will work for me. Mm-hmm. And I think people have fear of like trying things because they think they may not work or you're going to lose progress. It's like when you've been in the gym for 31 years now, it's like let's say you don't make progress for a month because you're trying something that's like a needle in a haystack when you look at the big picture. So especially if it means you're going to you're going to reap some nice rewards later on because of that mishap. So to me that's basically kind of been the biggest thing was just, you know, be open-minded. Um but as far as like the approach like I said it was more of like the the low intensity high volume early on. And now, I mean, the last probably 7 8 years it's been more for me it's higher volume. Yeah. But it's the intensity levels are down and just really kind of understanding and learning, you know, what I can and can't do, mm-hmm. um, you know, how far I can overreach and when it's time to back down. Like some people like early on with like if I was to go back in time and I was going with this periodization approach, mm-hmm. of course, early on, I would probably need someone to map that out. OK, here's this block. Here's this block. Here's this block of training. Whereas now with all the experience I have under my belt, I know how to auto regulate that stuff. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing I think as far as like beginners, intermediates, advanced, the way I view it is like more kind of like experience level yeah. and getting the more you start learning about yourself and knowing what your capabilities are and when you can and can't back off, you could kind of, you get better at knowing how to auto regulate yourself. Yeah. I think that's the talking of being open-minded is massive for so many people and just the whole fitness and health industry as a whole to be open-minded about things and not being dogmatic because it is really easy when you've seen results with something to then be attached to it. And I know I was with kind of my eating ways, a big one for a lot of people is kind of finding flexible dieting, kind of realizing foods aren't kind of clean and dirty. It's just food and kind of realizing the main principles behind things, which is why the muscle and strength pyramids that Eric and Andrea and, everyone did are fantastic because it gives people that grounding straight away and i guess you probably wish you'd been given those books back in the day that would have been a a game changer in itself dude if man if someone told me hey man you could buy these books for 69 bucks or hey for 69 bucks you buy a tub of protein powder i'm like okay that's 69 book dollars towards the books is a far better investment Mm. than a tub of protein powder so yeah I, i wish someone that you know had taught me all this stuff early on because uh, like again Larry on it was like i met i met a guy at the gym he had some big legs i'm like hey man how'd you get your legs like that and of course it's like oh i do this type of training so i went in there and trained with him and of course i saw the gains mm-hmm. you know and then that's it got married to one style of uh, training and one approach so like those books like you said it's just more of like it's kind of like a it's a foundation mm-hmm. to work off of basically yeah, I think it's that's something I was going to say in that it's great that you've been open-minded, but I know from your posts and following you that you have found a method of working that works for you and 
you really kind of hold true to it. Not that you're dogmatic, you tell everyone else they have to do that. But if you see things that are flashy, you don't necessarily go and grab, you don't just change your approach straight away. You're like, right, how could I maybe make that work for me? I know this works, so do I want to try that? I think that's really powerful because it's like when people talk about evidence-based practice, it isn't just the science, it's the experience with that. And that's a yeah. wealth of experiences, your own training notes and things like that. How much can you do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can take some science and implement it and it works, that's great. But there's been some instances where I'm like, yeah, this just just isn't working because of, you know, whatever life circumstance I got going on. You know, it's like, oh, you need, if I needed more, okay, science says here, you need this much volume. But if I have, like, I'm working all of a sudden, I'm working all this overtime at work, or, you know, there's a life trauma or something, life stressor that's just, I just can't do it, then you got to be able to, you know, go away from that and auto regulate and find more practical ways of doing things. And that's something that I, I even learned more so in 2014 during that prep where there was things that would come up. I'm like, I can't train today. You know, I got to take the kids to a dentist appointment. I got to do this, do that. I'm like, okay, am I going to try to rush my training in like, and make that, that training session the stress level this high because I'm trying to blow through it? My performance probably isn't going to be all that great. My risk for injury might be a little bit higher. So to me, it just makes more sense to, you know what? Don't stress on missing this workout. Do it tomorrow where you're getting stress levels are much lower. You'll probably perform better. You'll probably recover better after that because you're not as stressed, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. So that was something that um, really ingrained to me that uh, I didn't have to be perfect. You know, that, that, that key, that optimal word that was thrown oh, yeah. around there for a while, like optimal, optimal, optimal. To me, I found like, okay, what is optimal is like I know how to auto-regulate. And it's okay. And I did a pretty good job of it. Um, there was some things that in that prep that I could definitely improve on. So that's what I'm trying to do now with this prep. But yeah, that was a, a big thing during that. I was like, okay, I need to, I, it's okay to not be perfect. I guess that's if really similar parallels towards the flexible dieting approach in that like you screw up your diet one day or you can't hit your macros perfectly. It's okay if you abide by the overall kind of you get your main sets done on the main movements for the week and you hit your calories for the week it's kind of getting the main priorities in place but it does take quite a lot of i think security in yourself knowing that if you do that you're not going to kind of completely ruin your physique just one week off yeah yeah there's i mean experience has a way of curing insecurity that's for sure it's like when you got like Let's say you're going on vacation and you're like stressing out. Okay, how am I going to work out? How am I going to how am I going to hit these macros? Because you're now all of a sudden you're going from your own environment that you're so used to to now you're going into an environment that you're unsure of. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say you know you you go there and you screw up. You come back. You're like shit. I screwed up. But then a week or two after that, once you fall back in line with your normal routine, you're like, oh, what was I stressing over? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, it's insecurity to really just make people do some wacky things. I guess that comes into, yeah, like the, if we talk about the stress in contest prep and anxiety is one of the big ones, I guess, that builds up over time. Have you ever had kind of preps where you got so anxious you almost didn't do the show? I know you talked about it recently on your podcast about quitting. Was there ever shows where you kind of, the anxiety built to a point where you were like, this isn't worth it? Or how do you deal with that sort of, that, that? I think I do that every prep. There gets to a point where you're just like, why am I doing this? You know, 
because the stress levels get pretty high or whatever, and you're like, you know, you start feeling the fatigue, the, mm-hmm. the, the hunger, and all that. You start questioning, why am I doing this? Is this even worth it? But, I mean, there was never, like, a season where I said, okay, I'm not going to do the show because I'm sh- too stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I did quit a season, like, halfway through a season. I stopped. I think I competed once, but then after that, I stopped. Uh, there was another show I was going to do, and I didn't do it just because I – I overate and uh, I couldn't get myself back. But, but yeah, as far as like the anxieties, never really quit because of that. Mm-hmm. But I definitely know it plays a huge role in in how we can progress. Because you know, again, if we're insecure uh, about progress or whatever, then a lot of people make adjustments that they probably don't need to to make just because they're just feeling like they're not progressing enough or fast enough, and they start really making adjustments they don't need and then and it, that could just drive stress levels even higher because now you're putting more more uh, stress on the body physically and mm-hmm. and mentally so yeah i think that's why it's so helpful having at least a coach kind of or someone with you that you can kind of t- t- talk to and just give your thoughts and feelings to i know i haven't coached anywhere near the amount of people you've coached but i've coached a, a few people to stage and kind of when you get towards the actual stage, it becomes less of, okay, this is what you need to do with your diet. This is what you need to do with your training. It's more like, how do you feel mentally? Do we need to sit down and kind of make sure you're okay? Because yeah, a lot of people do get into that mindset of, I'm not sure I'm going to be good enough for anything that might come up. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty typical. I mean, across the board with all levels, um, there is some insecurity, but it's like, especially with first time, second time preppers where, you know they're not they've never been to the stage so they don't know what to expect so they don't know how they're going to stack up to to the competition they don't know if they're going to get shredded or not you know this the list goes on and on so a lot of time as a coach you're trying to reassure there's a lot of reassurance that goes on through the process yeah. and like you said the x's and o's i mean that that's kind of the easier part of the job mm-hmm. you know it's like okay this week this is what you need to do you know it's pretty clear cut but getting them to do it mm-hmm. when you're when uh, depending on the individual they're faced with different types of stressors not in the gym but also outside the gym you know the people work people have relationships i mean etc so you're kind of like you know is this 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 play i'm going to call this week these x's and o's i'm calling is this the right call you know yeah it makes sense on paper like physically okay mm-hmm. this is going to get this person leaner or whatever but are they going to be able to execute that under all these stressors that are going on? So, so yeah, I mean, there's times where I just say, you know what, you just got to buckle down and face this stress, and you're going to have to do it if you want to reach your, your goal. In this. But there's other times where you're just like, probably not the best call to make because this could make things worse. Um, you might be able to see um, people go backwards and lose progress because of it. Um, I've, I've, I've made those, uh, calls as a coach early on where, you know, like, okay, I'm going to push this person here this week and they end up binging or they go off, you know, the wagon and you're like, ah, oh, shit, shouldn't have made that call. You know, it was probably better than me if maybe even throw a little bit more food there during a high stress week. That way, you know, they can cope with it a little bit better and we don't lose, you know, we don't go backwards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's just, I think it's really tough because especially as a coach, because you have people coming to you and maybe they've stalled out a little bit one week but you don't like on paper they should be losing weight and like they're reporting good nutritional accuracy and things and they want to push harder next week and you're just i, I you're probably similar to me like hold out one more week can you do that yeah. for me 
Yeah, that's it's a hard call to make. Cause in the past, I would say a few years back, I was probably too soft sometimes, mm-hmm. like too too soft. Like I'm like, okay, mom, that's my mom and me. Okay, you know, have more compassion. But sometimes you have to you have to say, you know what, you got buckled down here. So as as I've gotten more experience as a coach, I've been able to learn a little bit better when and when not to you know pull the trigger on pushing people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also experience level it plays a huge role too. Yeah. You know, there's you know if it's a, a team competitor first show first first time prepping versus you know someone who's on the the world stage on that level then. You know, the, the guy that's on the world stage, you're gonna say, okay, dude, you're gonna have to buckle down. All right. So there's there's differences there, and um, you know even with myself, I'm still learning when how much I can and can't push you know certain aspects of my preps. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a, it's an ongoing learning process both as an athlete and coach. Yeah, I think for myself at least, I probably discount how the feelings that I go through through prep, seeing as I've only done the one, and to do it again, I think. I probably have forgotten how hangry I got, how fatigued <laughs> I got, how like irritable I got and things like that. And I, that's part of actually when I can go to compete again, it's part of the anxiety I have already is thinking, how am I going to control all of that? How do I progress? And I think that's something you've definitely improved upon every time you've gone through your preps. That's almost been a thing for you to improve upon has actually been to make it less of an impact on the other people in your life. Have you got any kind of things that you've particularly done that have helped with that? Have you, I don't know, it, it might even be completely, this is completely crazy and weird, but you might have put in like in your calendar on your phone, like a reminder, okay, I need to kind of kiss my wife today. Like I need to tell her I love her or you might even do that every day, but things like yeah, that. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't put it in my phone, but definitely it's in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at some point I'm going to be an asshole, you know, just because, I mean, when we're hungry, we're starving, you know, the, the if you go to the primal state, you know, our, our priority is not to please your, your spouse yeah. or to even reproduce. It's like, no, I want that cheeseburger so I don't die. <laughs> so <laughs> your primal instincts can get the best of you. So I, I try to have that awareness that at all times, like, okay. You know, I'm choosing to starve myself here slowly but surely over time because that's what we're doing is basically we're control starving ourselves that uh, I just try to stay aware of that and, um, you know, just make it a point to not not treat people the way I wouldn't want to be treated. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best way to explain it. And I, I you know that's as far as like my athletes I work with that are, you know, don't really have the the experience or the knowledge of kind of what that process going to entail through the prep that you know these are the things that are going to happen you know you know you physically this is what's going to happen emotionally this is what's going to happen and you know, if you i even think i made a video i did make a video on this on bodybuilding and relationships that yeah. you know th- these things at the time weren't really talked about all that much so i'm like okay this thing's and i had a couple athletes i was working with where their relationships were suffering mm-hmm. because of because of the prep so I was like, okay, I need to probably get this out and help more people and have, you know, if if a, if people can communicate like an athlete and their family or athlete and their spouse or a significant other, like, okay, this is what's, this is the reasons why these things happen, then their family and the, the spouse or significant other can understand the process that there might be a little bit more 
communication and compromise on both ends. So, so I'm trying to, it's like, yeah, it's cool to get on stage shredded and say, I got a first place trophy. But if you're left there and you don't have a girlfriend anymore or a wife, you know, you're there holding a trophy by yourself, then what's the point? I yeah have to I completely agree and I've seen I know people who have split up with their girlfriends because of prep and I know my girlfriend when we talk about it she kind of isn't too happy about talking about it she have, remembers all the, the bad times but for me I remember the, the time of having a trophy and having a photo with her and her supporting me yeah. and yeah to, to have you need their support because it isn't worth it on your own yeah yeah like at this at this prep because I know it's crazy because I mean the sport is getting so advanced or it's getting extreme I should say mm-hmm. that the conditioning that we're seeing you know especially from the male bodybuilders is that the conditioning level is just going to higher and higher standards that it's not so much okay what what protocol is doing that or what calls I need to it's more about okay I have to actually grind harder and longer basically. And that means, okay, I'm going to have to suffer a little bit more so than I have in the past. So I'm already preparing myself mentally that, okay, that's what I'm going to have to do this prep. So I'm already kind of like prepping my wife now saying, okay, this is what's, you know, I have to go probably a little bit longer and harder. And uh, just I try to keep her informed of the stages that I'm in. And uh, so like now it's still early on. It's like, okay, you're going to have wine with me tonight. You know, it's a refeed day. I'm like, okay, we'll make it fit. But, yeah. you know, the deeper we get into that, then I'll have to say, okay, can't really do that, babe. You know, so she understands kind of like what my goals are, what it's at stake. So there's just, I make sure I communicate, you know, mm-hmm. as I'm going along at where we're at in the prep. How do you deal with your, because you obviously have two children, so... And they're, I mean, I've seen them on kind of on the social media and they're kind of, obviously children are just active. They want you, they want attention, they want to play. And I know yeah. even, I remember horrible time in, in my prep and my niece was next to me and she wanted to play and I was just lying on the sofa and I was just like trying to <laughs> kind of just moving my arm. Like I was not playing with her. How do you deal with that aspect? Because that must be like, it must actually be really tough because the emotional that you must feel very emotional when you can't actually physically, you feel like you can't do that and play with them. Well, you know what? I don't, it's going to be a whole, a whole new experience this time around because my son's four now. Yeah. The last time I prepped, he was two or like, yeah, going to be turning two. So, I mean, it's just, you know, obviously it's more of a baby then than he is now. And my stepdaughter was, is now 12. She was 10 at the time. That's about the same. She's, she's pretty, act, she's pretty active her so um but yeah i just manage it it's the best i can i think um i always make them first Mm -hmm. so you know that's the thing is that the one advice i got from one of our it was our our three to muscle journey sponsored athlete um smiley elmo jr he had kids he was prepping in my case Smiley, you know give me some advice here i'm gonna prep next year uh you know i'm gonna have a baby and all that and he's just like make them a part of it yeah and i'm like okay yeah that that makes sense so you know you'll see some of my videos you'll see my son wandering around in the in the garage while i'm training and and things like my my stepdaughter you know I'll, when i make like let's say froyo at night with my pb2 she's like you want some so it's like i'll have her eat it and things like that so they feel more of a part of it um but yeah those days when it's like you're dragging ass and you don't have energy and they want to play soccer or something like that it's like 
I just suck it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's probably the. I don't tell them I don't have energy. I'm like, no, I can't do this right now. Yeah. I just I just suck it up and go do it. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, if I'm feeling this lethargic and this tired and this hungry, and if I'm out there playing soccer with them, well, guess what? I'm probably gonna get leaner. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, that kind of motivates yeah. me. I know some people during prep, they're like, I'm hungry, and they'll complain. And to me, I'm like, okay, that means shit's working. Yeah. You know. So that's I try to have that mindset as much as I possibly can. Yeah, I think that's a really good view to have actually to include other people with you. And that's something I want to do more this time round. I compete is like rather than having separate meals with my girlfriend, you'd have joint meals, you'd make it yep. something together. And you might normally want to go out for a pizza on a Saturday night. I'd, well, I'd love to, but maybe come in and make kind of more diet friendly pizzas together and then yeah you can make them part of the experience which i think is really important for people to take away is don't become kind of isolated it's probably the worst thing you could do yeah i think um the way my wife and i did it was that when we first when i first started prepping uh because we got married like a year and a half almost two years ago that that first prep that i prepped with her that you know she would ask okay so what's for dinner? What can you do for dinner? I'm like, you just make the food and I'll deal with it. So, you know, I would I would measure it after she cooked it and things like that. So about a month out, I would kind of stop doing that. But for the majority of the prep, it was more about I'm going to work around you and the family, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So I found ways to make things work where – because my thought was if I – if they don't feel the stress of it, then I'm going to be less stressed. And I'll be able, if I'm if I'm less stressed, then I'm going to be happier. And if I'm happier, then they're going to be happier. So to me, it's like, okay, I'm going to work around them, not the other way around. So that's probably the one thing that I would say was, you know, that last prep I did was, yeah, I was successful on stage. But as far as the process and how I was able to do it, working around my family and, you know, not trying to be overly perfect with things, it was like, to me, it was the most successful prep I had. Um, so I kind of find I don't look at like, OK, pro cards or winning pro shows or first places on a trophy is that's not the only indicator of success to me. It's like there's so much more besides that. And I think a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes and what each athlete kind of goes through in their journey to get to that yeah. stage. So I know when I see someone who comes in, let's say fifth, they might be disappointed. But I'm like, there's probably a ton of things that that person did so well to get to that point, that point. Yeah, I think that's important because we can't all be genetic. Like the the industry now, it's growing so much. The genetic side of it is probably going to become more of a bigger role because the genetic freaks are getting into the sport, and there's there are some amazing physiques out there now. And so yeah. other guys who are also not necessarily going to have the best genetics are going to get into it as well, and they have yeah they have to pull apart those other aspects of the sport and find value in that. Otherwise, there's no point in them doing it. Uh, they won't get any kind of benefit from it if everyone just places the standings on where they come as the only value value from doing it. Whereas the actual sport in itself is years of grafting before the actual stage presence. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the sport, like you said, it's growing leaps and bounds. I think that cause I mean, more people know about it, more people are participating then yeah, we're going to start getting seen, that talent pool is going to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, we could go back to like American football 
you know, in the 50s and 60s, yeah. and you're like, okay, you know, a lineman was, what, 250? Now lineman's, what, over 300 pounds and yeah. much faster. So it's just the talent pool's getting bigger and bigger. It's, the sport's going to get more and more advanced. So if you're not, like, genetically gifted, then, yeah, you, you I mean, you have to face the fact that if you want to participate on a high level in the sport that, you know, you can't let a panel of judges, you know, define your success. Um, yeah, it's going to, it sucks not to win. It might sting for a day or two, but, you know, if you can, you can find, uh, if you could find your, your, define your own success, I think you're going to be that much happier because mm-hmm. that's basically what I've done. Yeah. You know, over the last few years, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to let a panel of judges, you know, tell me how to define my success. It feels good to win. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But Especially, I guess, because there is that element of subjectivity there. There is the element of who turns up on the day because, I mean, I've been to shows where one person has turned up in a category and they win. And it's kind of like, well, you, did you win? Because that must have even been gutting for them, but... There will be individuals who will do that and then they're post everywhere that they want to show and it's kind of like well yeah. there's <laughs> yeah one once one show i did in 2004 it was a terrible prep i only prepped for like nine weeks my my i was competing with my brother he wanted me to compete with him i'm like eh, i don't really want to do it this year but i did it so it's short you know short notice i just prepped for nine weeks lost like 27 pounds somewhere in there wow. really assertive and aggressive yeah. i won my class but I didn't, it, I mean, to me, I was like so far from my best. I looked, mm-hmm. you know, I looked worse than I did the two years prior to that. So to me, it's like, yeah, I got this first place. But it to me, I wasn't even like, okay, big deal. Because I wasn't at my best. So, yeah, it's yeah, okay, I got this trophy that says first. But I really, in my mind, wasn't it wasn't first. So that's why it's like some shows you might show up, you might win mm-hmm. not at your best. Some shows you might win at your best you know it just depends and i think like if you could find value in your you're just getting to the stage at your very best and knowing that's what your that's what the goal is in the first place that everything else is just kind of like cherry on top of a sunday as far as what those other seven to nine people on a judging panel say i think that's why i think it's really good that 3dmj have such a big presence is because you do push that approach Whereas I think some people, when they look on Instagram and social media, they kind of just see like a Hollywood effect of getting on stage and being shredded. And in reality, for most people who go into the sport, it's probably not going to be like that. And it isn't all kind of just sunshine and rainbows. It's really tough when you have to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, again, it's it's like you, you want to be competitive. Like I do when I coach athletes, yeah, I want them to be competitive but I don't want that competitiveness to override their enjoyment. Yeah. Like putting so much pressure on the on the placing that the whole process itself is not enjoyable because you're just so focused on a number. And then when you get to the show, it, let's say you don't win, then the whole show just viewed as a, it's just a whole disappointment of a season because you didn't get the first place. I, I've prepped like that myself. Back in 2002, it was all about a pro card. The whole the whole prep was just I'm gonna win I'm gonna win I'm gonna win and when I didn't win I was just like that sucked it was yeah. like the whole season just felt like it was a fail and it was like my best physique at that point but I didn't see the value in that mm-hmm. I just saw the value of, of like that pro card and even if I did win the pro card in that season probably wouldn't have did anything on the pro level anyway you know I would probably and you know not only physically wasn't I ready but mentally I wasn't ready either. Mm-hmm. You know, because I just didn't have that healthy mindset. 
So in a sense, I, I could look back and go, that was a good learning experience that I went through that. Yeah. Even though it did suck, but but yeah, I could look back and see the, the value in it now. I think, yeah, learning from your mistakes is something uh, you you have to do. If you don't learn from your mistakes, you're making kind of the same mistakes over and over. It's not great. Something I wanted to touch on was in terms of reducing stress, are there any kind of new nutritional strategies you've utilized in kind of the lot like later years kind of things like refeeds or diet breaks have they been have you found them to be really helpful or have they not actually made that much difference to your kind of prepping i think for me outside of nutrition like the biggest thing that uh, i think could say i think it's the most important tool to have in your toolbox is time yeah you know if you if you have time you you basically have a lot more play calls that you can make you know, if you're trying to shed off, you know, 20 pounds, 9, 10 kilos in, let's say, you know, eight weeks, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that basically is just going to be a prep that goes downhill. Yeah. You know, you're just going to be running the whole time. So, like, if you, let's say you give yourself twice the amount of time, well, now you, you got so more, in more play calls. Now, you, like you said, okay, I could have more refeeds. I could have bigger refeeds. I can have diet breaks. You know, I can... I can uh, have weeks of training where I don't have to. I could have more deloads, things like that. Mm-hmm. To so you put a more healthy and vibrant-looking physique on stage than a run-down, depleted one. Like I, I've had many preps where I've gotten on stage and you know, looking in hindsight, you know, I'm like, man, it was just like a, a run-down, flat, depleted physique. You know, just because it was hardcore, not a much, that much time, and you know, like really assertive diet, really assertive cardio and just training that was assertive. So it's, it's, to me, it's like you can, if you give yourself that time, you just, it's like you can drive that car fast down the straightaways, you come up on turns, you could actually let your foot off the gas, yeah. you know, and go around a turn without flying off the track. That's kind of the analogy I like to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, that's what I've, like, since 2006, that's where, 2006 where I really learned, like, oh, if, even if I give myself more time, my thought was, let me live in that environment. Like, usually, like, back in the day, it's like when you prep, you get to your leanest the day of the show, mm-hmm. right? So my thought was, okay, let me get leaner, like, in advance and live in that state and get used to that that environment. So that's what I started doing in 2006. I was like, I could have dieted for nine, ten months. And I was like, oh, shit, I got a lot leaner. Mm-hmm because there was more time and the same thing in 2009 2011 2014 it was just dieting longer and less conservative that's the approach that's worked well for me i mean obviously there's a ton more approaches that yeah. one can take but for me i've learned my personality my tendencies my strengths my weaknesses and i know now how to prep where it's effective so you know I think we can look at natural bodybuilding in the last five, six years. We're seeing guys diet longer and longer and longer because so you can't implement all these things that we're talking about. And people were looking at me all crazy when I was posting up my 47-week prep in 2011. You know, they started making fun of me and all that. And in 2014, same thing. Oh, 50 weeks. But now, look, you got all these guys doing the same thing. So it's it's like – that's kind of like for me, it's like sometimes I've been labeled outlier at times. Yeah. But for me, it's just I've learned over the years what's worked well for me and what hasn't. So, And I'm still fine-tuning things, yeah. especially as an older athlete now. Like things are changing for me where I'm like this is new territory for me. 
as far as being an older athlete and dealing with aches, pains, and things like that. Yeah, I guess a lot of people think if they diet for a shorter period of time, it's less time being in a state of kind of a calorie deficit, not growing muscle. Whereas if they think of it as growing muscle takes absolutely ages, so you're not reality, even if you gain a couple of months, you're not really going to gain that much kind of more time gaining muscle. You're better off giving yourself another couple of months with less stress, more time to take refeeds, the diet breaks, probably going to be less likely to lose performance, less likely to lose any muscle. And so you're coming to stage better. And then it doesn't matter how you come out afterwards because that kind of you already come out with a better result on stage. I think the time element's yeah. huge. Uh, I think a lot yeah. of people discredit it. I think, yeah, I think in like when I was doing those, like I've done long preps, but when I was starting to chronicle online, you know, people would see that length and their first thought would be like, oh shit, you're going to lose muscle because yeah. you're dieting so long. But if you dive into the specifics, it's like, okay, now I'm having these pretty damn big refeeds. I'm having diet breaks. I'm having, you know, the, the cardio is less intense. So it's like I'm putting myself in a more healthy environment as far as the prep by being more controlled, being more conservative versus some of the older preps I would do where it was like shorter duration, but the intensity level is like way up yeah. here. So, I mean, in 2009, I competed at 160 pounds. I don't know what the kilos is for your listeners, but it was like 160 pounds. And then in 2011, I was 170. So 10 pounds, about four, four and a half kilos heavier, but leaner. And everybody looked at that and go, wow, you gained a ton of muscle. How did you gain a ton of muscle at the age of 40? I'm like, no, it wasn't about gaining muscle. It was like I retained it. Mm -hmm. And in 2009, even though I did take quite a while to diet, the mistakes I made then was it was too assertive. Like um, I wasn't really doing regular refeeds. Like I wasn't doing weekly refeeds. It was like, okay, maybe once a month or whatever. So I was like, I was just really kind of more too assertive basically mm -hmm. in a nutshell. And I basically ate all my muscle up. And in 2011, it was a slower, it was, it was a little bit longer process, a little more time, more refeeds, and a and little bit more vo training and volume and things like that. But I retained a lot more muscle. And in 2014, it was about the same body weight, but a little bit leaner, a little bit fuller. So it was just even a little bit less conservative of a prep. And I think it, it, it definitely put a much healthier uh, physique on stage so i'm kind of crossing my fingers that same approach but um maybe a little bit longer of a diet and a little bit more strategic as far as um yeah. the refeeds and things like that i could put a little bit better package out no for sure and i think i think having prepping and having a plan in advance is so helpful and i guess that's why you guys when even on your application form and things for 3dmj you're like you put on there you don't want people when they're like 20 weeks out and they've got a ton of weight to lose you want to have as much yeah. time as possible so you can plan in these kind of diet breaks and refeeds and things like that because yeah. they can be so helpful yeah one of the one of the the biggest lesson i learned as a coach and um, i had an athlete that that applied and i basically took him on and kind of an elite athlete like a really tremendous physique with a ton of potential and I dropped the ball because basically you know this person had a lot of weight to lose mm -hmm. with in the timeline Bruce wasn't really what I was kind of hoping for there really wasn't another show for this person to do it was just okay we got to get this person to the stage of this and 
you know, instead of just really holding true to what I knew was to say, you know what, this ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to prep you. We need way more time than this. Maybe this might be a, a two year project instead of a one year or however many months. I can't remember what, how many months it was now. Um, so I went ahead and prepped him anyway. And it the, the result wasn't wasn't that great. And I could it just basically it was like too short of a timeline. There was, And the, the only thing I can do was just basically run this person into the show, run him into the ground. And so since that day, you know, that that I was like, OK, never again. So now it's like I'm adamant about, you know, if I get someone who has to needs to lose 50 pounds in five months, I'm like, this is not going to happen. This is a this is a year, maybe even longer project. Um, and we'll take it in phases and steps, not like, okay, this is a prep in five months. That ain't going to happen. So yeah, I definitely learned a valuable lesson and it, I really wish I would have, if I could go back in hindsight and just uh, stuck to my, my instincts and my experiences. Cause I know on myself personally that, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's still kind of like, I still, it still haunts me now, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that happened. So yeah. that's definitely, um, Yeah. I even made a video on prep time for us, and I definitely use that like quite often. I just refer people to it yeah. when they're like, "Okay, I want to prep," and they're like adamant about prepping this year. And I'm like, "You know what? Nope. Watch this video. Um, goes over the reasons why I'm not going to take you. You know, that soon." No, it's really good because I think a lot of people don't realize how much diet fatigue, for lack of a better word, kind of builds up, and that kind of that in itself will be horrible when you have to diet faster than you should really be doing it that fatigue is only going to build faster and faster and like you said with the analogy you're going to crash yeah not only not only that like that season but you have to factor in okay once you're done with that prep as terrible as it probably is going to be you got to factor in the recovery time after that so after you just went through months of like killing yourself you got to come out of that and repair a lot of things and so you're you're setting yourself back even longer so it's it's smarter to just say, you know what, okay, if this is a two-year project, maybe it's better to take two years to go to the stage versus crashing into the stage and then, not, okay, guess what? You're not going to get back on stage for another two years after yeah. that, maybe longer, and being at the top of your game. So it's kind of like you, you have to – like that first decision to prep or not to prep and setting up the timeline, in my opinion, is the most important decision of the prep right there, right on the spot, first thing. And I guess – like we've talked about as well it's not just the physical and your your own kind of problems you're gonna to have to deal with after a crash and burn probably a load of relationships are going to be damaged after it as well right. so <laughs> that's all gonna be screwed up which is going to be horrible yeah. so yeah you definitely planning i think the planning element and the periodization of your nutrition and training and everything is becoming more and more well known and i think yeah. something i love from you guys at 3dmj is you don't allow well you don't want people to get too overweight before stage and you kind of have that diet before the diet and then you have kind of periods at which you go like attack harder and you get them to like almost kind of good condition but allow that to maintain and then go even deeper do you want to talk a little bit about that as yeah i mean i like basically it's like i mean obviously in the off season we got to be human we're gonna enjoy life but you know there's definitely like certain phases that you can make sure you're in. So you're setting yourself up for long-term success. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, sometimes there's the diet before the diet. And that just basically means there's a period where, okay, we're going to shed a little bit of weight here. So when you do start the real prep, you're in a good position. So you're not like 
the other guy was talking about where it's like, okay, you got to lose 50 or 60 pounds in a short time frame. So just, yeah, setting up those timelines and, and then periodizing. Like we talk about period, you, know, you hear training periodization all the time. But with a prep, there's also you can basically have nutrition periodization too, like setting up diet breaks, refeeds. That's all periodizing things. And um, so I think that's coming out in the forefront a lot more the last couple of years that a lot of um, you know athletes and coaches are seeing the value in in game planning and being strategic and setting up phases. And you know, I mean, the sport's advancing because of this science, obviously, but but also by you know that science is, is helping a bunch of coaches out there to help their athletes. And there's a like I would say probably when we first started coaching, there was a there was a there was a decent amount of good coaches, but now there's like a lot of good coaches out there. Where if I like if I if I let's say I retired from coaching and I say okay all my athletes on my roster I have to dish them out to other coaches I'd be pretty secure and confident of like assigning them to some good quality coaches whereas let's say seven eight years ago I've been like oh man there's only maybe a few on my hand that I'll I'll, I'll be trusting with these people so I personally I kind of like I see a, a lot of advancement the last last few years yeah it's evolved massively and I think even even keeping up with 3DMJ, you're always keeping on top of the latest kind of things that are coming out. And even, I guess, probably the biggest one for me was the recovery diet, going away from kind of the, the slower reverse diet and thinking, right, actually, the recovery diet makes more sense. And do you have many experience, do, do you have many athletes who kind of experience that diff differently? Like they can't go through such an aggressive oh, yeah. recovery diet. Other people have to go through a tippy-toe approach. Yeah, there like back when the re there was no recovery diet, it was just more you know reverse diet. And as a coach personally, I'm like you know the success rate of my athletes on the reverse diet was like maybe one out of ten, you know, where this person can actually okay, we're gonna increase carbs ten grams this week. I'm like that's one rice cake. This person <laughs> just starved for eight or nine months, and you want to give them one rice cake this week after their hyper focused goal is no longer there anymore. Most people aren't going to be able to do that, you know. It takes a special someone to really have that type of discipline post-show. Yeah. Um, and, you know, before we even made that recovery diet video, we had a team meeting. I'm like, guys, this is dumb. <laughs> I'm like, just to be blunt, I'm like, this is dumb. Like, this is straight up. I don't care what science is saying or whatever. This is dumb. So basically we're like, you know, so we started talking about approaches post-show and then, you know, over time we've, we've said, okay, we need to make this video and get this out. Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, again, if you go back to the, the ice age, you know, if you're starving yourself to death, the, the thing you want to do is go kill and kill something and eat. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that, okay, you need to put body weight on to start normalizing things. So, you know, thankfully we got, you know, guys like Eric Helms on our team that yeah. uh, you know, that can do the research because I'm not a researcher. He does the research and, you know, he brings all this stuff to the forefront and we can start implementing these things. Um, so, yeah, once I, we, uh, you know, went away from the reverse and started going, let's, let's feed people after the show, basically, you know, in a nutshell, the success has been a lot, a lot higher, a lot better. And, again, one of the experiences I had with the reverse diet was I had an athlete that prepped for a show, tremendous work ethic. I mean, this athlete was like, I mean, just like you wish you had your whole roster filled with someone <laughs> like this. 
like everything was just heated, everything perfect and fall off at all during the prep, got to the stage, tried to condition. And basically I, I remember saying, Hey, you know, it, we should probably go to macro ranges after. Mm-hmm. And this was before the recovery diet, you know, we're still trying to He's like, no, I want to reverse diet. I can do it. I'm like, you sure? Yeah, I can do it. And he was adamant about it. And I was skeptical mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know what? Okay. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to just roll with it because yeah. this is what he wants. But within the first week or two, he binged like, you know, a handful of times. So I'm like, okay, here's this perfect person on paper, but couldn't handle it. So I'm like, this, this is, that's why I was like, this is dumb. Mm-hmm. This is, this stuff makes sense. So yeah, that was like one experience I had where I'm like, okay, never again, you know, where I'm going to, you know, take that approach with, with the person that's been so perfect for, for days mm-hmm. and weeks and months. And then not to give them a little bit of leeway and let them know it's okay that if we do gain some body weight back. A huge amount of that process is, and I think you guys really cover it off well, is not just the physiological response, it's the psychological elements towards it. Because, I mean, before your prep, I mean, during prep, if your girlfriend asks if you want to go out for dinner, you have like, you're like, right, no, I have this show in like a couple of weeks. Whereas afterwards, you're like, well, why not? <laughs> and so exactly, yeah. So it's just yeah. There's you got to factor in. Okay, there's more to life than just trying to stay shredded and increase your your calories up post show. My my brother, I I don't I think I've ever come across another bodybuilder with his mindset. Um, discipline like no tomorrow. And he he did the he's done the reverse diet and he did it perfectly flawlessly. Mm-hmm. And He's done it the other way. And he's basically said, you know what? There's no difference. I got to the same point eventually anyway. Yeah. So he's like, why am I going to suffer for weeks and weeks and weeks staying extremely lean, even though, I, yeah, I'm eating more, but eventually the weight's going to come back anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's, it's individual too. Because like I said, there, there, you, you might be that one guy that can do it. Mm-hmm. And there might be some upside to it. So then as a coach, I'm like, okay, yeah, why not? You know, if that's the one guy, then yeah. I did have one guy this recently that competed, um, I think it was the British finals. Yeah, he took uh, sixth there. And he was a machine. He was a machine. And, and post-show post, post, uh, post show machine. Um, we increased his calories quite considerably in the first week. But from there, it was – his metabolism was just – like no other it's just he's just phenomenal where it was like okay we're still very meticulous and on point but he's just has that mindset that can do that yeah so there are some people that uh, are definitely unique and outliers yeah i think i personally have some regrets with some of my coaching in that i never kind of saw it as well i never really explained it to some of my clients how important that part was and so they'd get me a I'd have them for coaching to the show. And then afterwards they're like, well, it's expensive. Like I I obviously am not prepping for a show anymore. I don't need your support. And whereas they probably really could have dealt with it. And so they kind of just went a bit off the handle. I gave them advice, but it's such a difficult time for myself. I actually did a basically a reverse diet and I'm one of those people that is just a bit nuts and I can stick to something (laughs) if I'm given it. Um, And I don't know if it's sometimes it's not always a good thing, but yeah, different people have different experience with it, and yeah. you always see the highlighted ones, people who have really. Well, I was just like, gonna say, what would be a disservice would be for me as a coach to let's say post up the athlete I was just talking about, yeah, saying look at this guy, you know, he's an outlier, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, to say okay, this is how it should be done, 
for him, yeah, you know, but not for the guy who's on the uh, way on the other side of the aisle who, you know, it, it doesn't have that incredible metabolism and et cetera that, you know, so I, I'm really cautious about when I put, if I do post up athletes, you know, that, uh, you know, there's gotta be context to it, mm-hmm. to, to post like, in my opinion, that way it's not trying, it's not trying to make like, okay, this is how it's supposed yeah. to be done. So, yeah. No, I think that's really important. Um, so I just want to touch on some other questions that kind of come to my head when I was thinking about, right, I'm interviewing Jeff. What are some questions that I just want to ask outside of things? And one of them that came to me, and I don't know if you've particularly talked about it before, is that the rest of 3DMJ have kind of dabbled in powerlifting. Well, uh, more than dabbled, but they're all fairly successful at powerlifting. And you've never gone into that. Have you ever been tempted to? Do you think it's helped you as a bodybuilder by not having that area of kind of not maybe some of it's quite non-specific towards what your overall goals are? I've never had a passion for it. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, after t- what year was that? After my 2011 season, mm-hmm. I think it was. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a powerlifting meet for the experience. Because you know there was you know we we coach powerlifters, um, so I'm like, well, I need to get I need to get the actual experience if I'm going to coach a powerlifter. Yeah. So I started training a little bit like that, but I just never really had the passion. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just not going to do it. And and as a coach, you know, we do coach powerlifters, but I don't. Like I just specifically say, you know what, I just don't. I'm not going to coach someone in powerlifting if I don't have a passion for it because I don't want that person to get a disservice, you know. So I'll just say, you know what, let's refer you out like to, you know, Alberto or Brad or, you know, Eric or somebody. So, yeah, I just never had a passion for it. I do the lifts, you know. I bench, I squat, I deadlift. Um, And I'm not good at it, to be (laughs) honest. I'm not very strong, you know. I look strong. Like out of all, all five of us, I'm the biggest one, but... I think pound for pound, I might be the weakest one. I think Andrew might be even stronger than me, pound for pound. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. But yeah, it's just uh, and then bodybuilding's just been a passion. And mm-hmm. I know for some people, when they come out of a bodybuilding season, like if you're a bodybuilder, then they they go more towards let's say a powerlifting shift to, to have a goal because there's such a long gap between seasons. I've never just needed that. I've always yeah. been driven like okay you know what i'm i want to improve my physique it's always been a, a high priority for me so i've never really had that that uh experience where i lose focus in an off season as far as like my bodybuilding goals that's really interesting because yeah mo- almost it's becoming like a everyone does it now everyone who's a bodybuilder now goes into powerlifting in their off season but i think yeah it's good to see that people like yourself haven't ever needed that element like there isn't no. you don't, everyone doesn't have to do that Nah, I, I think also too is like if you are gonna go into powerlifting as like an off season type goal to keep, you, you don't forget about your your bodybuilding because yeah. you stop training your arms or you stop training your calves, you don't want to get on stage going the next time going, oops, forgot to train the other body parts. Um, but yeah, I never really needed like that powerlifting goal to to keep me going. I, in twenty twenty. 13 2012 2013 i was hitting numbers that i've never hit before mm-hmm. at a at 40 to 41 year old as a 40 41 year old like i deadlifted 500 for the first time i did an overhead press of 225 for the first time and i was running basically 531 to get yeah. those numbers so that was the first time i really kind of dabbled with a powerlifting 
type mm -hmm. uh, approach. So I did get stronger. Um, and then I got, I tore my calf in 2013 and that was like, it totally changed my approach to, yeah. to at least my mindset towards training. That's something I really like about bodybuilding is that even if you are injured in a certain area, if you, you can normally train around it, there's a, a way around it. Whereas in powerlifting, if you can't squat, you can't powerlift. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. It's pretty clear cut. Yeah. Definitely. And to me, as I buy like, Cause it's like, you see it like over 31 years, I've seen, seen fads come and go like, you know, the power lifting for bodybuilding. I mean, look how popular that was yeah. a couple years back. It's kind of faded out a little bit. Um, I've never, I wouldn't say I never, but the last few years I've, I've kind of, I don't really pay attention to the fads too much. I try to just stick to what I know is going to work well for me. And my thought was, I'm hitting these PRs in 2013. I just tore my calf. I'm like, yeah, I hit these PRs, but what did they do for me mm -hmm. as a bodybuilder? They did absolutely nothing. Yeah. But what? But getting to those PRs, the work that led to it, that's what was building my physique. So I'm like, I don't even need it. Why? Why do I need to hit a, a run rep max for me at this point? It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean nothing, except for stroking my ego at this point. Yeah. So, so it's the to me it's the work leading to it. So it's like I can care less if I hit a 500 pound deadlift anymore or not. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a good perspective to have because for a bodybuilder, a one rep max test is incredibly non-specific to their sport. So if it keeps you driven and like on check and gets yeah. you doing the work, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing. It's like I'm not saying that they're bad or you shouldn't do them. Like because for some people who like they may not have my mindset and like they want that one rep max. And if it means that it motivates them to train, mm -hmm. to stay in the gym and train harder or whatever, then that's a tool to, to, to use, but to use it intelligently, obviously don't run rep max every week, no. but they'll plan it. But yeah, you can definitely use it as a tool. Awesome. Uh, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. I just wanted to say some points. That I think was really, really good that you touched on and that I think a lot of people can take away specifically from you, Jeff, is that you've always kept an open mind, but also using a lot of your own experience in that it, we've just touched on that again, that you don't get taken away by fads that come in and you kind of keep perspective and you just kind of take what works and kind of leave what doesn't in a sense. And that when it comes to stress management, just time and planning, <laughs> you can't really get past those elements. Well, yeah, I mean, when you when you train for 31 years, it's so easy to look in hindsight, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but as you, if you flip flop that in your first year or two or within your first five, you don't have all that insight. So it's like, OK, you got to you, you just if someone's listening to this and they're just starting out, just just be OK that, you know what, you're going to make mistakes and you just keep learning from them yeah. um, and be open minded to all different approaches, you know, just just because science says one thing doesn't mean that's going to be the answer. There might be something that you do that's not backed by science, but it just somehow just works. Mm -hmm. no, so I've been—I cool. think I've been good at being able to come and you know use a combo of, of you know both of those realms. Hundred percent. And if people want to contact you or find out more about yourself, I guess where's the best place? The 3D Muscle Journey, uh, probably YouTube channels are probably the best place. Yeah, yeah, Team 3DMJ on YouTube, 3DMuscleJourney.com, um, Jeff Albert's Facebook, and then what, 3DMJ Godfather on Instagram. 
So I'll put I'm not on Snapchat. No Snapchat yet. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> Eric's not on Snapchat either yet, is he? Andrea is, Alberto is. I've got them both. They're um, more hip. They're more hip than we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Snapchat is kind of a teenager and I don't know, up to thirty or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't have time. I have two kids. Yeah, it's, well, you, <laughs> that's my excuse. You just snap them. That's all. All you got to do. They're entertaining enough. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. So yeah, I'll put all those links in the description box below so you can get contact of Jeff. And I just want to say a massive thank you for you, Jeff, to come on and share your experience, share your kind of how you would go about things, what lessons you've taken away from everything you've done. And it's amazing to me that I'm talking to you right now, considering when I first started natural bodybuilding, it was 3DMJ and you guys who I was all looking up to. So to have this opportunity for me personally is amazing and to have met you in london was amazing <laughs> that was a great time no i really appreciate you having me on it was fun yeah awesome well thank you very much and thank you for everyone for watching <laughs>